I'm gonna show you how great I am. Great I am. Great I am. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. I'm gonna show you how great I am. With the 13th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Chargers select Rashawn Slater Jr., tackle Northwestern. With the 47th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Chargers select. The deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Asante Samuel Jr., DB Florida State. It all started with a dream. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Welcome everybody to the Lightning Round Podcast. We're here to recap the Chargers 2021 draft class. For Jamie, who is at Lightning underscore round, I am at Garrett Sisti. We're going to go over all these picks the Chargers made. Over the weekend, and then also we will give a draft grade and then answer some questions you guys wanted to talk about after the draft and you submitted on Twitter, so thank you for those. So let's go ahead and get started, Jamie, and get right into it. In round one, the Chargers had a pretty much dream scenario happen, and the tackle from Northwestern, Rashawn Slater, fell right in their laps. Yeah, this was the guy that I wanted all along, you know, thinking... Realizing that Panay Sewell wasn't going to be available. Um, and if you're not going to get the physical unicorn like we talked about, you want the technical unicorn. And I think that's really what the Chargers got. Um, you know, a lot of the experts have been panning him as, you know, he has the ability to play all five positions on the line. But for me, he is a left tackle. It sounds like the Chargers view him the same way. Rashawn Slater is a monster at left tackle, even if he doesn't have ideal arm length, which I'm glad they overlooked because I was concerned they wouldn't. I really feel like they got somebody who's going to step in and make a huge difference on the offensive line, like immediate impact, play at extremely high level, and protect Justin Herbert's blind side exceptionally well. I think he's got Pro Bowl and All Pro All Pro upside as a left tackle. Uh, he just he plays with such great leverage. His feet are so smooth. He, Slater is so outstanding at the second level. He finishes his blocks. He does everything at an extremely high level, and I think that's exactly what you want out of a tackle coming out of coming out of college. So they got really the dream scenario, like Garrett said, and I feel like they they have reason to be excited because he shouldn't have fallen to them, and I don't know how he did, but he did, and they made the right pick. So that was definitely a a celebration worthy moment for sure for me. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we we had talked about it before the draft, and we were, you know, we thought. Sewell would be the dream. Uh, this could be close to it. And this was just awesome how it all lined up for the Chargers. So Slater only allowed two sacks over his last two seasons. Slater, like you mentioned, he's five-position versatile, but of course he's going to play left tackle. But he can play center guard and tackle. His calling card is the footwork, which leads to excellent mobility. The kid is a force at the second level. We talked about it on the podcast when we were previewing these top tackles in the draft class. Uh, Slater... 
more technically sound than uh, Penny Sewell. Uh, they both play with an edge, but Sewell gambles a lot. Slater is much more efficient, so he takes care of his business. The athleticism, power, and functional strength are all NFL-ready. In terms of IQ, this kid really doesn't seem to ever get rattled. You give him any exotic looks, any blitzes, they just don't phase him, and he's got a strong grasp of what's being asked of him. He seems like all his reps are in control, and you won't see him bend or panic very often. Rashawn had some concerns with the arm length, which we talked about, you mentioned, and maybe that kind of contributed to why he fell, but this is an NFL tackle to me. There Again, if there's any doubts, just go back to that 19 tape against where he's a roadblock going against Chase Young. This kid can do it against the best. He is a proficient NFL-ready left tackle. This was the best-case scenario for the Chargers in the first. They got their franchise left tackle, fell right in their lap, Although he's a tackle in this league, if for whatever reason, and we're talking worst-case scenario here with Slater, if he does have too much trouble with longer pass rushers because of those shorter arms, this kid's an all-pro guard in the NFL. So the worst-case scenario is you've got an all-pro guard that you have to kick inside and you've got to revisit left tackle. But to me, he's not going to have any problem on an island. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue. I'm not worried about him having to be moved to guard. I don't think it should even be a remote consideration at this point. Um, no. The way he uses his hands, the timing of his punch, the the leverage that Slater plays with all speaks to his ability to overcome his minor lack of length with technique and leverage and power, and he does it all. So very excited to have him. I think, I'm sure the team is extremely excited to have him as well. It was the absolute best case scenario, you know, barring some kind of weird, inexplicable fall for Panay Sewell. But to have a kid who can step in right now, and I'm sure there will be some technical refinement, but really when you compare Slater and Sewell, the techniques are night, the technique is night and day. Mm-hmm. So to be able to get a kid who's that NFL ready with his technique and just be in a position to have to refine a little bit and tweak as opposed to really rebuilding a lot of his technique like like they would have had to do with Sewell, they couldn't have found themselves in a better position with that 13th pick in the first round. Yeah, yeah, he's a technician. And I'm I'm so excited to watch him in camp going against Joey Bosa, man. That's going to be beautiful. So let's uh, let's talk about this next pick because uh, it got better in the second round because they ended up getting the Florida State corner of Sante Samuel Jr., now, Samuel is the ultimate gambler. This is a kid who loves to jump everything. He's got the ability to read quarterbacks and read receivers' routes. What he does beautifully to me while watching him is his ability to goat quarterbacks into making bad throws. He'll play off just enough that he knows he can recover, but the quarterback thinks he's got an open man. He undercuts the route and then makes a play on the ball. His instincts are excellent. Uh, last year, Samuel played 108 snaps in a shortened season, gave up zero receptions, and recorded three interceptions. This is a corner that plays in receivers' hip pockets and becomes a nuisance. Uh, you saw in a lot of these games with receivers, they were visibly upset with him in games. He gets inside of players' heads, which is, which I always love in my corners. Now, obviously, part of the reason why he fell kind of like Slater, he's a little bit undersized, but to me, he makes up for that with being really scrappy with the ball in the air. Uh, he does tend to get swallowed up in the run game at times and was picked on with bigger receivers on the 50-50 ball. But to me, he's good in man, will be a real problem in zone. Just let him play off and work with what's in front of him. Uh, to me, he reminds me of Marcus Peters. Uh, he's got a little bit of Jair Alexander in him. He's kind of that smaller corner like Peters. Got a lot of fight, ball skills. 
he can make up for it for any catches he gets on him. But, you know, I know Derwin campaigned for Asante Samuel Jr., and there's a familiarity there in the room But because they obviously went to Florida State. But to me, Samuel has more swag to this DB room, which they needed. Samuel will come in and be that CB2 going into the camp and could also be an option to kick inside to take over for Chris Harris later on. So they've got some options going forward with Asante Samuel Jr. But with these two picks... Rashawn Slater followed by Asante Samuel Jr. It is that rarity where it lines up for the Chargers perfectly getting the best player available and the need. It wasn't either or, it was both. And that's very rare, and they got it with their first two picks. Yeah, Samuel is a great pick for them. Uh, you know, he's got two things that I think you really want in a cornerback, and those are really quick feet and extremely loose hips. No problem flipping his hips. He's quick in and out of in and out of his transitions from his back pedal to driving to the ball. Like Garrett mentioned, he fights like a dog with the ball in the air. Uh, that can get him in trouble sometimes where he, he will draw pass interference penalties because he's maybe a little bit too physical on deep balls with balls in the air. Um, he has ball skills, a lot of solid ball production for Samuel. Uh, he's very instinctive as a corner. He is willing to come up and hit in the running game. Uh, like Garrett said, he does have a tendency because he's a little smaller. He will get stuck to blockers and get swallowed up in the running game. Uh, while he is a willing tackler and he does show the ability to be a technical tackler, I did notice he has a tendency to either tackle too high or ankle bite in some situations uh, in the screen game and in the running game. And sometimes he'll just overrun guys because he's trying to cut them down with those ankle tackles and he'll whiff on the tackles. Uh, I like my corners to be able to be thumpers and come down and whack people and he's willing to do that. I just think the technique needs to approve, but you, you have to start with the willingness which is there, and I'm sure the technique can and will improve. So I'm not too worried about the tackling. Uh, we'll have to clean up the penalties a little bit, but very, very good player, scrappy player, highly competitive with the ball in the air, just kind of got that junkyard dog mentality from rep to rep, always fighting, always scrapping, and not afraid to jump routes. So a lot of fun to watch. He should be able to step in and take that, that CB2 role right away. And like Garrett said, gives them some options if they need to kick him inside down the line, uh, you know, once Chris Harris Jr. moves on. But you can never have enough playmakers in the secondary. Samuel is definitely a fantastic playmaker in the secondary. He will he will add a lot of confidence and swagger to the secondary. And I think Samuel is going to step in and be a very good player for the Chargers right away. And this is another one of those situations where you basically get the dream scenario. The guy you wanted all along falls into your lap. A little bit of luck involved. But you make the right assessment, the right evaluation, you make the pick, and you walk away with two you know, potential home run picks in the first two rounds, which is, is huge for any team. But the Chargers needed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't have thought of a better one-two punch for the Chargers here with Slater and Samuel when you're going through your mocks or just any dream scenario. This was, this was the tandem here. So then, of course, they make two picks in round three. And after that uh, great start, they end up taking in the third round the wide receiver out of Tennessee, Joshua Palmer. So before having watched any film on Palmer, when I heard about the pick, my first thought was, oh, this is the life after Mike Williams pick. Uh, But as you watch Palmer and you watch his game, I think what this pick really is to me is this is a correction in their process of how they evaluate wide receivers. Uh, With the Mike Williams pick a couple years ago in the first round, you know, they took a guy who really was not a great route runner, was not able to create separation on his own. Uh, they just took him for the jump balls because he was big and strong. 
and they I'm sure they figured that he would become a polished route runner in time. That has not happened. Uh, so they kind of reversed the way they're evaluating the position, and they took a guy in Palmer who is really a fantastic, a polished route runner, uh, very advanced, especially for a guy who played in a lousy passing offense with terrible <laughs> quarterback play and got very little opportunity to show what he could do. His feet are very quick. His hips are extremely loose. He eats up cushions in the first four or five steps of his routes. You consistently see Palmer use jab steps, head fakes, and shoulder fakes to set up his next move. He's constantly setting up uh, corners with his feet and his head and his shoulders. His his breaks are sharp. He's physical at the top of his routes to be able to create separation if he needs to, if he's getting held on to. He's able to explode through, snap off his routes and explode through his breaks to create space for catches. Big, strong hands. One of my favorite things about a receiver, very, very strong, natural hands catcher of the football. He's not looking to trap the ball against his frame. He's always extending and catching the ball away from his frame, understands how to box players out, does Palmer. Uh, just a very fundamentally, technically sound wide receiver in terms of his route running and the way he goes about plucking balls out of the air and making plays. Uh, he is a guy who, while I think most people had the reaction of who the hell is this when he was first picked, uh, once you start doing some homework on him and you start researching him, I think Palmer is a guy who is going to compete for pretty significant snaps in the offense right away because of his ability to create separation because of the way he catches balls. He's also a willing run blocker and a pretty good run blocker. So he kind of checks all the boxes. Not as big as Williams, not as physical as Williams, but he does all the things Williams does and all the things Williams doesn't do. So it's going to allow them to move on from Mike Williams uh, after his fifth-year option expires at the end of the season. So I think this is a fantastic pick. I think he's going to be very productive. I think my only knock on the thought process here, while I appreciate the fact that they adjusted their their evaluation process and how they're looking at wide receivers. And I do like Palmer as a player. This isn't a knock on him. I just think this team needs to get more explosive and shiftier and faster guys who can catch the ball underneath and take it to the house. But they're so stuck on the big long striders that I'd like to see them kind of get a little bit more explosive and a little twitchier at the position. But outside of that, in terms of the player, I I'm, I'm really happy with the pick and I think he's going to be a solid player for the chargers. Yeah. So Joshua Palmer, like you mentioned, uh, there's some terrible quarterback play, and he didn't produce much in college. He never had a season over 500 yards receiving and had no more than four touchdowns in a year. And to put that into perspective, the next wideout taken after Palmer was Deami Brown, who had 1,099 yards receiving in 2020. Palmer had 1,514 yards over his career at his four years in Tennessee. Obviously, that has to do with uh, the offense and the awful quarterback play. But even with his limited stats, like you mentioned, he is a efficient route runner, and I, I love the nuance to his route running. His first step off the line of scrimmage is a winner. He sets up DBs with his release. You talked about a lot of this. Uh, he fires off the line. Sometimes he hesitates. Sometimes he stutter steps. I mean, to me, while watching him throughout his reps, it feels like a pitcher. He's setting up his routes to do the next route. So he's throwing stuff in to mix it all in and always keep the DB on their toes. 
So he'll win early, and then at the top of the routes, to me, I love what he does with his head fakes, the double moves, the quick cuts. He's very unorthodox in his route running, and that's all NFL ready. I will say he ran a vertical offense at Tennessee, so he doesn't really have the experience of a full route tree, but you saw at the Senior Bowl in his snaps, he made a huge leap in terms of his increased routes. It seems that he can do it. He just didn't run it in college. Again, that that offense wasn't very good, and you couldn't get, take a lot of out of that uh, when you watched him on film. Uh, so, you know, obviously Palmer can win off the line. He can win at the top of his routes, but he can go up and get it. You talked about it. You know, he's excellent at contested catches. He seals DBs when the balls are in the air. You talked about boxing out. Shows great body control. And Palmer is a whiteout with the football acumen to be very good in the NFL. I mean, he's a player. Now, uh, like you mentioned, the downside here is that the Chargers really needed to get faster on offense. Palmer is a long strider who moves good for his size, but he's not a burner that the offense needs. Between Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, Tyrell Johnson, and now Joshua Palmer, they've got guys who can win with long speed. There's no real explosiveness, no real short area quickness, no real guys that can take it. Sudden. There's no suddenness. No suddenness, no guys that can take the top off a of defense. And so, you know, this is a pick that the Chargers are obviously banking on the upside here because they didn't have the stats, and then looking to replace Mike Williams after this season. So I really, really like the player. He's filling a position of need. They're also looking to the future, and that's all a sound plan. I don't, for me, agree with the spot he was taken. I don't also agree with the planet wide receiver. Uh, like you mentioned, I think they need to get more explosive. I love the player. He is perfectly moldable. He's got the essential tools as a route runner. And this coaching staff is betting on themselves here. And I can't wait to see how Palmer progresses. Uh, that's going to be on Palmer and this coaching staff. But I like the player a lot. I think he could have gone maybe a round or two later. But um, that's obviously nitpicking. And obviously I think that the direction of getting a guy that offers the same in terms of speed as the as four other guys on, or three other guys on this roster in Johnson, Guyton, and Williams uh, isn't – I don't agree with. But, again, can't complain about the player. Yeah, I think he's a very good player. I think he has a chance to produce. Uh, I, I understand the value concerns. I think maybe were there better players available at other positions of need? Possibly. They got one of the guys that I wanted to take with that pick in the fourth round. So I think um, Palmer has an opportunity here to at least play up to his draft position based on the skill set that he put on tape. And I think ultimately that's what determines value. It's hard to get too stuck on value on draft day, especially when you're looking at a guy like Palmer who can clearly play and has the ability to, I think, ascend to where they picked him. I don't think he's as much of a project as some of the third round picks that we've seen in recent years and even the next guy we're going to talk about. So I think he has a chance to live up to that value based on the skill set on tape. So I'm not too hung up on the value. I just think they got a good player and I, I think it's going to work out for him. Oh yeah, no, no complaints about the player. And he absolutely can, with those routes, he can easily ascend past that third round value for sure. I would like to see them transition more, you know, find more suddenness, more shiftiness, more of that quick twitch ability. It's something that they've been lacking for a while. Um, and hopefully they recognize that with everybody in the division getting faster at wide receiver and getting longer and faster at corner. Eventually these long striders are going to have a hard time getting open and you can't rely on the jump ball all the time. So you got to have guys who can create separation with speed and create in space with explosiveness and twitchiness 
and they don't really have that right now. So hopefully they transition towards that. I would have liked to see some of that in the draft, but in terms of finding a guy who does what Mike Williams does without overpaying tremendously like they did with Williams and has an ability, has the potential to ascend, I think they got a good player. So I think it'll work out. Yeah, and then when you think about the quarterback play they have now opposed to what they've had for the last decade with Rivers, you've got a quarterback who can throw over the top of a defense, not a guy that you got to hope to get that jump ball. So they, right. you know, it would have been nice to fit Herbert's arm and get somebody more explosive that can get behind a defense. But again, they went with Palmer. We both are agree here. We like the player a lot. So let's talk about this uh, second, third round pick. It was the tight end Trey McKitty from Georgia. Now, McKitty, like Palmer, is not a player that's going to blow you away with his stats. He played at Florida State before transferring to Georgia last season. His best season at Florida State was in 2018, where McKitty had 26 catches for 256 yards and two touchdowns. He's got really long arms and huge hands. He's an athlete at the tight end spot who's a strong hands catcher. But while he catches away from his body and the limited reps that we saw, his hands do run hot and cold. In his limited work as a receiver, he displayed good body control. He doesn't have the high point ability, but he can come down with some tough catches. As a blocker, he's got no fear, and as a drive blocker, you won't see a lot of pancakes from McKitty, but he can latch and drive in the run game. He displays the ability to be a red zone weapon with his size and athleticism. Now, McKitty did have a knee scope right before the 2020 season at Georgia, so that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. And the Chargers have already said that McKitty was going to be their blocking tight end. And because of that, he's going to need to bulk up some because I think he's a little skinny to be a blocking tight end full time. So this is another player to me that went too early. Um, Palmer, I think, can obviously outperform his value. I think McKitty's going to have a harder time. Uh, He's got the potential, which the staff will have to pull out of him. Uh, But if you're drafting a tight end to be strictly a blocking tight end, to me, the third round is way too rich to begin starting to look that way. I watched McKitty beforehand, and I mean, I get that mocks aren't like the lay of the land, but I never saw McKitty go before the fifth round. He was always a sixth, seventh round player. This was definitely a position of need, and the athletic profile is nice, but it's really hard not to question the value here for Trey McKitty. In terms of a team fit, though, uh, Trey McKitty is a guy you can play all around the line as a move tight end. He will be in on rundowns early. He's a special teams guy right away. Eventually, you might be able to see him in an expanded role once Jerry Cook leaves. Uh, Could be an asset in an open passing attack with Herbert. Uh, Again, a guy that, um, like Palmer, that the coaching staff is kind of betting on themselves here because there's the potential, and they're going to have to bring it out of him. Yeah, I I think I saw I was able to find two games of McKitty at Georgia this year, um, and I saw him get one pass thrown his way, and he dropped it. So hard <laughs> to get too excited about that. Um, I I think I agree with your your opinion here about uh, taking a blocking tight end in the third round. It seems like a a narrow way to use that pick. Oh, he's the best blocking tight end. Let's go ahead and grab him. He better be a damn good blocking tight end. Yeah. Um, and he better be the best blocking tight end on the team right now and really contribute on special teams to justify that third round pick because you should be getting borderline starters and consistent special teams players with the, starting in that third round. So yeah. um, I do think there's some special teams value there, uh, probably as a blocker on punt teams and probably on kick teams, PAT, things like that. Um, it's just hard to see him. It's hard to see him right now ascending into a 
into a productive receiving tight end. I think he's behind three guys right now who are better receivers and better route runners than he is. So he's going to have to do a lot of work to catch up to them. Uh, and I was kind of excited to see more of uh, Steven Anderson yep. this year. Same here. And it's it seems like he's going to be having to fight fight out for a roster spot with McKitty. And with McKitty being a third-round pick, Anderson's going to have to do a lot to keep his spot on the team. So I guess competition is good. Obviously, you want guys to have to compete for roles. Um, but losing that upside as a receiver for a guy who's strictly a blocker hurts unless he's really, really, really productive and valuable on special teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. So kind of went sideways in the third round, but then here in the fourth was a guy you talked about that you liked that would have been nice in the third. It's the edge rusher from Duke, Chris Rumpf. Yeah, so Rump is a guy who's played multiple positions in the Duke offense. He played off ball. Uh, he played edge. He played in a two-point stance, a three-point stance, a four-point stance uh, as a defensive end. He was primarily used as an edge rusher, but he was also used as a blitzer at times as they moved him around. Um, I saw him described as being explosive off the ball. I'm not really sure explosive is the word that I would use. There is a decent first step. He is long and he is flexible and he's able to bend the edge and flatten out and get to the quarterback. I think the word that I would use for him, um, and this is the first thing that came to mind watching him, is more slippery. Uh, He's a guy who has a real knack for slipping through gaps. He's got a good outside jab step and an inside counter to get through the B gap as an edge rusher. Uh, He flashes a bit of an arm over or a swim move. Decent punch. Um, Not great. He's not overly powerful. There's a Bit of a bull rush. I saw once or twice. I don't think it's a, a go-to move that's really going to work against NFL tackles, but it's something that they could develop. If you're looking for a scheme fit for Rumpf, in my opinion, it's as a stand-up edge rusher. Um, if you look up you know, his draft um, his draft profiles on various websites, a lot of people compare him to Floyd. Uh, Leonard Wyman. Floyd? Well, Leonard oh, Floyd. Oh, man. Uh, from the Rams. I was just going to so, make that comp. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think it's a fair comp because I think he does need to be standing up. I don't think he's somebody you want in a four-point or a three-point stance on a regular basis. I don't think he's somebody you really want setting the edge right now. So I think he's going to be more of a matchup, move type of situational pass rusher that they're going to be looking to develop. And I think he offers special teams value right away. So he's a guy who plays with a really high motor, does rump, a lot of effort. He's He always seems to be in the pocket. I think he needs to get stronger. Uh, A lot of missed tackles on his tape. Uh, A lot of opportunities to finish with sacks, finish plays in the backfield, and quarterbacks and running backs are slipping through his arms because he's just not strong enough to finish. So he will need to get stronger. But I think the change of direction is there. The awareness is there. The effort is there. And like I said, he's slippery in a way that allows him to get in the pocket a lot. So I think there are things to like. I think they got Rumpf in a really good spot, and they'll have the opportunity to develop him and hopefully they use it, they use him wisely as a stand-up edge rusher in certain situations. Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, at Duke, Rumpf lined up on the interior as a three-tech, wide nine, also a stacked outside linebacker, used his athleticism to his advantage on the outside, also did a ton of damage speed rushing on the inside, which, which I loved. He also uses his length to his advantage, repeatedly the first guy to make contact. Also in the run game, Rumpf uses his length to keep linemen at a distance, not to mention he has active hands of the line to get his long arms and passing lanes to da- bat down some passes. 
with a skinny frame, he would get washed out by bigger linemen, especially on the interior. So he'll definitely need to play on the edge. We agree there. Uh, he's much better at shooting gaps than he is at taking on blockers. So standing up on the edge is his spot in the NFL. A lot of splash plays came from pure effort, too. He brings a lot of energy on every play. Uh, the reason why I can get down with this pick, and uh, not only because of the value, which was good there in the fourth round for Rumpf, but I was going to talk about this comp, and I, I hadn't seen it before, but personally, I think he's got a lot of parallel to Leonard Floyd, like you talked about. Um, I I loathe Leonard Floyd as a college prospect. <laughs> uh, and if Staley... We both did. Yeah. <laughs> so if Staley wasn't involved, maybe I've got a bigger gripe with this pick, but with Staley and the way he turned Floyd around into a, du- a double-digit sack collector, I think Staley's plan for Floyd was to turn him into a disruptive force, moving him around and giving him advantages all across the line. Rump could absolutely fit into that role with the Chargers with some success as a situational pass rusher behind Bosa Nuosu, and then also he can come in and compete with Kyler Fackrell in camp mm-hmm. as the next man up. So obviously the Chargers added some quality depth here, uh, looked to the future at the edge position, was definitely a position of need, and great value there in the fourth round. Yeah, I think my only real gripe with him is um, his dad is a is a defensive line coach for, I believe, the Texans or the Bears right now, and he's coached in college for a really long time. I... I was hoping to see better hand technique um, and more counters from a guy whose dad teaches de- the defensive line at the NFL level, and that really wasn't there. Not to say he can't do it. I think you know he show he flashes some technique and he flashes hand hand usage. So I think the potential is there, but I just would have thought you'd see more from a guy who whose dad teaches the position uh, than I than I saw on tape. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think and there was another pick that was a coach's son. Was it Neiman? It was Neiman. Yeah, yeah, and he's very technically sound. Does not make those mm-hmm. mistakes. So let's uh, before we get to Neiman, let's talk about the fifth round pick, which was the Nebraska lineman Brendan Hymas. Now, Hymas manned the blind side for Nebraska for 31 straight games before he played right tackle for nine. So he, he had 40 straight starts in college. He doesn't possess any elite traits, but he's consistent with his hands and footwork with an excellent base. While the anchor does need some work, he's flexible in the lower half to move pass rushers past their spot. He also displays some impressive lateral agility, too. Uh, He plays with a high IQ, being able to recognize any twists and stunts in front of him. He's also pretty quick off the snap. Brendan Hymas played tackle in college, but he lacks the length to man the outside, so he will have to kick inside to guard, which is obviously a position need for the Chargers after losing guys like Dan Feeney for a slam this offseason. In a pinch, obviously, he can kick outside to tackle, so there is some flexibility there. Hymas was a steady performer who will battle Ode Abuji for a guard spot in camp, and he's got some swing tackle ability, so a guy that uh, makes a ton of sense here in five. Yeah, I think... The versatility is key for him. Uh, I I like what I saw from him on tape. He always seems to be where he needs to be. He, like you said, he adjusts really well to twists and stunts and things like that. Always adjusting his assignment based on you know who's coming and who's going. He's pretty good at the second level as long as he can stay within about five or six yards of the offensive line. Once he starts getting past that, it's hard for him to change direction. And, and adjust to moving targets. I saw several guys slip by him in, sc- in the screen game because of that. I think he's a guy who gives them op- he gives them options both at tackle and guard, which is huge. Durability, which is really important. I think he's got a chance to compete for one of the two backup tackle spots. This could be 
you know, for a team that was quote unquote bullish on Trey Pipkins two weeks ago, this could be an opportunity for Hymas to push his way into one of those backup guard backup tackle spots. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, in a camp competition with uh, Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins, at least one of whom has got to go. Yep. And then, like you mentioned, competition at guard, which they need. So to have that kind of depth and have kind of a utility lineman who can play multiple spots, I think is very valuable. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a solid fifth round pick. I saw a lot of people getting excited about him on Twitter, like he's going to step in and get a starting role right away. I don't know if that's the case, but I think you know he's. I, I think he, as a fifth round pick, he has an excellent chance to make the roster, provide them versatility and depth, and maybe play his way into a starting role in a year or two. So there, I think that's all you can really ask for for a fifth round pick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was a good one. So let's talk about the sixth round. We're moving on here, and they made two picks in the sixth. First up here was a guy we were alluding to a little bit earlier. It was a linebacker out of Iowa, Nick Neiman. Yeah, so Neiman's dad is a uh, an assistant defensive coach, I think, at Iowa, right? I believe so. I think so. His brother, Ben, plays for the Chiefs. He was a, U- a UDFA a couple years ago and was on the Chiefs Super Bowl winning team. Uh, Nick is a really good athlete. He's a technically sound linebacker. Uh, not the biggest or roughest guy, but he's willing to come. He does a good job of coming downhill and filling holes. Once he steps in the hole, does a good job of using his length to close out and make tackles. He's a solid finisher in the running game. I saw some mixed reports on his... Um, on his ability as a, a pass defender, but I thought in the tape that I watched that he shows pretty good instincts in coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be right on his man's hip pocket in man coverage. Not a lot of ball production, but at least awareness and intelligence and instincts and the ability to get himself in position to make a quick tackle or potentially break up a pass, even if he isn't going to be a playmaker uh, as a as a, a pass defender. So potential there as coverage linebacker. I think long term, short term, Neiman to me is an immediate special teams contributor. You look at him, and I just see a Nick DeZubner. Um, well, who's the other linebacker they had that went to Dallas a couple years ago? I'm blanking on his name. Um, is it Gashkar? Gashkar. That's who I was thinking of. Oh, okay. Andrew Gashkar. I think he's a guy who's going to step in and have an immediate impact on special teams, like a Nick DeZubner did. He'll probably see some situational play as a middle linebacker in the, in the uh, as an off-ball linebacker in the Chargers defense. But he's a guy who's just there to provide depth and help on special teams. So, you know, they, they did a good job of getting starters and immediate contributors with their first three picks. And now as we get into picks four through seven or round, you know, the, the second, third round pick, all the way through the seventh round picks, you're starting to look at special teams players with the upside to contribute on defense. And I think that's kind of how the draft should look. Yeah, so I actually agree with you. I think Nick Neiman does his best work in coverage, to be honest. Yeah. Um, really athletic, a smart player, never really gets lost. Like we talked about, something you expect from a coach's son. He understands what's in front of him. Uh, he does his best when shooting gaps in the run game, uh, but he does not play with good play strength. You alluded to it. Uh, he's a pretty good tackler as well. I think, you know, the Chargers here, uh, just to add on what you're talking about, you know, they add another athlete to the second level, will add depth. As a linebacker who can run sideline to sideline on passing downs, and Nick Neiman will be a core special teams player. This is a guy that can come in right away and improve that special teams unit. Yep, I agree. I think he's going to help with the coverage units immediately. He'll probably play as a blocker on on a PAT and and a punt teams, 
and I think he'll make an immediate impact. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the second sixth-round pick, and it's the running back out of Missouri, Larry Roundtree. Now, Roundtree is a power back at 5'11", 2'10". He's a finisher and a pile mover. He uses his big frame to run through arm tackles, and he's just a one-cut-and-go type of running back. His vision, to me, is mediocre, but he always finds a way to just fall forward. He offers nothing as a receiver out of the backfield, but is a very strong pass protector, so he could come on on a third down and protect Herbert. A Roundtree had a really heavy load to carry over his career, so he's got a lot of wear and tear on those legs. But he offers something the Chargers don't have in the running back room, which is a short yardage back who can grind out tough yards, wear down a defense, who displays great contact balance and power. So while a lot of people were upset that they got another running back late and maybe should have you know, gone with a different position group, I understand it, I get the vision, and I understand why they would go with a guy like Roundtree. He offers something the Chargers do not have in that running back room. Now they're obviously four deep now. But, you know, a, a guy that can come in and contribute on, you know, a, a couple plays a game to help grind out some tough yards. Yeah, he's – there's really nothing special about Roundtree. Um, but he is a willing and pretty decent pass protector like you mentioned. Uh, he does have a nose for the goal line. Like you mentioned, he has a, the ability to kind of wiggle through holes and fall forward, which is a good thing. Um, I thought his hands were okay. He's not a – He's not a standout wide receiver by or a standout receiver out of the backfield by any means, but outside of the one drop I saw him have, I saw him show some pretty soft hands and make some decent catches as an outlet, which is really all he's going to be uh, as yeah. a receiving option if they even throw his way. But you know, backup running backs need to be able to play on special teams, so hopefully he'll be able to help there, and it gives them an opportunity to really closely evaluate um, Justin Jackson. Uh, who's, I think, entering the last year of his deal and has been hurt and ineffective for most of his career. So he should be looking over his shoulder. It seems like Roundtree is there to really challenge him and, like you said, give them a wrinkle that they don't currently have in terms of a you know one cut, one direction, one gear, downhill runner. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he will offer something they don't have if he makes a team. And like I said, that's kind of all you can ask for at this point. You're in the sixth round or, yeah, sixth round, right? Yep. Or fifth. And so you, yeah, you really need, you really need guys who are offering you something you don't have who can contribute in multiple ways. And I think that's what Roundtree offers, even if it is somewhat limited. Yep. All right. So the Chargers wrap up this draft and grab a DB out of Georgia. It was Mark Webb in the seventh. So Webb to me is a guy who he's, he excels in kind of a big nickel or a slot role. He played the star position uh, in the Georgia defense very effective as a blocker, or as, as a blitzer, excuse me. Also very effective coming downhill, shooting gaps in run support. He's not afraid to hit people. He tackles with a lot of force and is a good finisher. Uh, speed is kind of an issue. Uh, fluidity in the hips. He's kind of tight in the hips. So the ability to turn and run with faster, shiftier wide receivers could be an issue for him. Uh, I think long speed is going to be a major issue for him. Not a whole lot of in the way of ball skills, in my opinion, with Webb. Um, but he's a guy who can maybe play, like I said, a big nickel or a dime linebacker type role, kind of what uh, Adrian Phillips played for them for years, if you find a niche role for him. Also, I think he could help on special teams quite a bit, which is what you're looking for at this point. So I think he makes the back of the roster deeper. I've seen a lot of people saying he's going to play a big role on the defense. I'm not really sure I agree with that, at least not right away. I 
don't think the overall athleticism and, and explosiveness is there for him to succeed as a corner. And it sounds like the team views him as a slot corner or some kind of a nickel as opposed to a safety. So that's going to kind of limit his ability, I think, to produce um, the way some people are talking about him producing at least right away. But, you know, if you've got a guy who can come in and fill gaps and help out against the run, uh, you can send him on an occasional blitz. He's kind of like a smaller version of a, a Kaiser White. Now, White's a better football player, I think, but kind of a similar mold in how you might see him used. Yeah, because they both played that same position in college. Yeah, and, you know, Webb is versatile. Uh, DB played safety and linebacker at Georgia. He was actually a wide receiver coming into college, and he switched to defense. So he's just kind of coming into his own in that position. His best trait to me is his tackling. I think he's a really good tackler. As a corner, he's got good size, and he is just average in coverage, and he lacks speed like you talked about. He's missing the short area quickness to land in the slot as a corner. But Telesco in his press conference said that Webb was more of a big nickel in the Chargers defense, which is fine as long as you let him work in the box. You know, they were referring to him as a safety, even though he was listed as a corner in the draft to many. So, you know, Webb will probably be the strong safety on the paper depth chart, but he's going to compete for a role in the box in camp. He'll need a lot of work. I mean, the absolute ceiling for him is an extra DB and a nickel or dime roaming around the line of scrimmage like he did in college. But, you know, with his tackling ability and average athleticism, Webb will definitely carve out a role in special teams. He could be a core a core special teamer for the Chargers. So, I mean, that, that's that's all you need. I mean, the Chargers needed depth at safety. So if if you consider him a strong safety where he's working around the line of scrimmage, maybe, maybe it's a good depth there. But, uh, you know, a, a guy that, you know, they're going to come in and use him in probably nickel or dime at times maybe. Yeah, I think my biggest question is they just drafted a guy who basically needs to fill the same role in order to be successful in Alohi Gilman. Exactly. So what is that saying about how they view Gilman after his rookie season? Yep. Um, are they already, you know, kind of ready to bail on that pick? Or, you know, are they seeing other holes that they need to fill? I don't know. But it just seems like Gilman has a lot of the same limitations yep. uh, from an athletic standpoint yep. that Webb does. And they both need to be in the box to be effective, and they both kind of need to play that star, big nickel type role. Exactly. And they needed Gilman last year. They needed him on the field with Derwin out, and he couldn't get on the field on defense. So maybe this is that evaluation. Maybe this is the Staley effect here, looking at it and saying, oh, I think maybe we missed on Alohi Gilman. We need to find somebody who can really fill that role if he can't be on, the, if he couldn't get on the field last year. So. Mm-hmm. Again, another situation of getting competition for guys at the back of the roster and challenging them to earn their spot. Um, Just kind of curious with all the kind of hype they gave Gilman and the expectations they placed on him after they drafted him last year to be taking somebody who fills the exact same role and is maybe a little bit better athlete than Alohi is. Kind of curious. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. So that wrapped up the draft. Let's go ahead and give – I know people love draft grades – so let's talk about grades. How are you grading these picks from the Chargers? I think they had a really solid draft. Uh, for me, the picks that really, I don't want to say drag it down, but maybe bring it down a little bit are the McKitty picks. The McKitty pick and the Roundtree pick, just because it's a running back in the sixth, another running back they're drafting. But to come away with two offensive linemen who have an opportunity to help and provide depth, uh, the wide receiver I like, the corner I like, I think they got... They have some real special teams value late in the draft. I would say, I'm going to say A minus, 
And I think it's because the first three picks elevate the draft. I, I, I wanted to say B plus, but I just think those the first two picks in particular and the upside that Palmer have, I think help help bring it up into that A minus range. Yeah, with the first two picks, the Chargers got their best case scenario with the best players available fitting their greatest needs. The rest of the pick, to me, align with the greatest needs that they needed to address as well. So the two third-round picks, to me, Palmer and McKitty, went too high in terms of value. I like the player. The player is good. Uh, They fit a need, but with what was left on the board, they could have and should have maybe gone another way. Uh, Palmer is – I can make less of a case with Palmer because I really like Palmer – but personally, I would have liked to see them get faster in the wide receiver group, like we had talked about. McKitty has potential, but a blocking tight end, again, is way too rich in the third round. Rumpf has good value at a position of need. Brendan Hymas makes a ton of sense as a decorated tackle who can move inside and also add versatility to the outside. Linebacker Nick Neiman and DB Mark Webb provide depth at a position of need and also can contribute on special teams. Roundtree is a running back with a skill set the team didn't currently have as a short yardage power back. So while things got a little twisted up in the third round with those players, they still were a position that they had to address in the draft because they didn't in free agency. So getting Rashawn Slater and Asante Samuel makes this an absolute outstanding draft. Palmer kicks it up a bit too. The rest are added bonuses to me, even with the reaches in the third round. The Lightning Round podcasts give this draft, the 2020 Chargers draft, an A minus. I am with you. You got to give them an A here. I mean, getting those just Slater and a Samuel, it seemed like they could have done no wrong. There could have been a punter or a kicker mixed in there, and you may have gone, well, I mean, Badgley has had his problems, and we could have made some cases. But they didn't go that route, and they ended up getting the two best players available at positions in need in the first two picks, and it uh, couldn't be happier. So A- minus for me too. Yeah, totally agree. They filled so many positions of need with guys who have the ability to contribute right away. And I think in particular, the focus on special teams late really helps pick up that draft in spite of some of the spots where you kind of scratch your head a little bit. That special teams focus really helps elevate it. So Yeah, they did which a- is not being talked about enough in day three because a lot are going, oh, the depth that a lot of these guys provide. How about how bad the special teams has been yeah. and was last year? To be able to get faster and quicker and younger with guys in this draft in day three, that's that's a much bigger deal than people are making it. Yeah, agreed. And that's what gives those guys value because I, I think most of those guys are unlikely to get starting spots or contribute right. on offense or defense right away. But if they come in and make an immediate impact on special teams, then those picks are home runs. So Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. All right, so now we got some questions we got asked on Twitter, and we'll go ahead and start with at Binconator. Uh, there was also Brandon Blemker who also asked a similar question to this, and it was asking about Jock. With the second round pick, did you want Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa over Asante Samuel Jr.? How close did you have those two on your board? Do you think they made the correct decision? Uh, I think they made the correct decision because, in my opinion, uh, having a playmaking corner is a much bigger deal for this defense than a 214-pound off-ball linebacker a year after they just took an off-ball linebacker in the in, in the first round and traded up to do it. So yep. I, I think the value is so much greater. I think the player is outstanding. Uh and I think he's going to make an immediate impact on the defense opposite Mike Davis. So I, I would not have looked at uh, 
Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa at all in the second round. I think if Samuel is on the board, it's a rush the card up to the up to the podium and get it done kind of a situation right away. I I I don't think they could have gone any other way with Samuel on the board. Yeah, I agree with you. And throw in that Wosu Koromoa had a heart condition that scares some teams away, and which is why he fell out of the first round. I mean, I, I had them too, pretty close in terms of talent, but if you're grading off of need versus talent, Santi Samuel Jr. was the right player at that spot for the Chargers. I mean, Jock would have been great as another athlete roaming the second level, with Ken, but you know, with Kenneth Murray, like you mentioned, trading up for him a year before, and then also having... Uh, Drew Tranquil there as starters and Kaiser White, who they've talked about having primed for uh, upping his role this upcoming season. That that just wasn't as big of a need as the corner was. And to get a corner as good as Asante Samuel Jr., the Chargers made absolutely the right decision. I had Samuel graded higher than Jock anyway, but they were pretty close. But Samuel was absolutely the right pick. Yep, totally agree. Next question is from Chris Benhart. He says, if you're a GM, at what point does talent outweigh potential health concerns looking specifically at trey smith as he was talented enough to go way higher than he did is this a healthy neiman or roundtree is a healthy neiman or roundtree worth more than a questionable trey smith these these are always hard because we don't know the extent of these injuries we don't know what's going on and there's always guys that fall every year and there's some medicals that we weren't made public and we're not privy to but what we do know is that Trey Smith did battle blood clots twice, uh, blood clots in his lungs twice in his career. One of them was an instance that was career-threatening, and he had to overcome that, and he played at Tennessee. So I, I hear your point. I liked Trey Smith, but high miss isn't bad either. Uh, I get that Neiman and Roundtree aren't flashy, but those are guys that the team needed at depth, so they will hopefully serve a purpose and also kind of contribute on special teams. But, you know, if Smith, Neiman, and Roundtree hit their full potential, Trey Smith would absolutely be twice the value that those other guys were, but that's not really how it works. So I don't know the extent of the injuries. I get why they passed. I mean, their doc- their doctors obviously didn't trust what was going on with his injuries, and neither did 31 other teams. So to me, uh, it made sense for the Chiefs because they really needed to revamp that offensive line. Chargers had already got some depth at offensive line. So to me, I, I don't have a problem with them passing now knowing how bad the injury question was. Yeah, I, I think the point where um, health outweighs talent is the point where your offensive line is starting Tyrell St. Louis and Ryan Groy and Trey Turner and <laughs> Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton every week. So I think that's where they reach that point where they just – they. They cannot put themselves in a position where they're relying on somebody with blood clots or any other consistent health issues to stay healthy. They need guys with some sense of durability and an ability to stay on the field. So I get the question, and I don't know, maybe you take a flyer on them in the seventh round, but in my opinion, they've had such bad luck with offensive line the last 10 years that to take a guy with potentially life-threatening injuries or issues, health concerns... It just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it works for them. And I, I understand why that's the case. Yeah. All right. Next question is from Hendrick H. 1983. How much Brandon Staley do you see in this draft class? Or was it a usual Telesco draft? I personally think we see a lot of Staley in this draft class. I think selecting Slater is a Staley thing. You know, he talked about athleticism and length uh, being important for offensive tackles. Uh, this is a team that has 
you know, in the past overlooked very talented left tackles because their arms were too short, and they didn't do that here. Um, the Asante Samuel pick, they took a play, they focused on the ability to be a playmaker over his size, which is something I'm not sure that they would have done in the past. They have been trending more and more towards bigger corners, and they took a smaller guy because they know he can make plays and he can be a dog for him. I think, especially in my opinion, the Palmer pick really speaks to Staley's influence on this draft because this we we've already seen Telesco take big wide receivers who are long striders who don't run great routes and just expect them to become great route runners. And here they value the route runner and they'll just develop the rest. And I think they place the if they're going to take a guy like this and they're not going to focus on adding speed, they placed their focus on the feet and the hips and the ability to, to, you know, set corners up and create for himself with his route running ability. And I think that's a, a shift in how they viewed wide receivers in the past. So I think that, that pick in particular really shows Staley's stamp on the draft class, in my opinion. I agree, because I feel like a McCoy and Lynn regime would have passed on Slater because of the arm length and would have passed on Samuel because of the size. The past says that if your linemen don't hit the 34-inch threshold in terms of arm length, the Chargers would have absolutely let them fall. I'm speculating, but this is the, what the question is asking. So I that I, I don't think they would have drafted Slater if either of those are head coaches at this point. I also think that the Rumpf pick was absolutely a Staley pick. I think the Palmer pick was absolutely a Staley pick. And I think getting speed at a linebacker position with Neiman probably seems to lean towards Staley too. The pick of McKitty has Telesco all over it. He does it every single year. He gets in his feelings reaches for a guy that he gets enamored with in the third round, makes sure he doesn't fall to day three, and and the chance that Telesco can miss out on his guy, it happens every single year. So to me, I mean, he Telesco just said, consensus be damned, this is my guy. It happens every single year, and I think McKitty was that guy to me. Yep. Um, so, yes, I think most mostly, for the most part, you saw a lot of Staley all over this draft class. Yeah, I agree. And I think the hyper-focus on special teams late is also a Staley thing. Yeah. Special teams and athleticism late is, I think that's a big shift for them too. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's the, This draft definitely has Staley's stamp all over it. Uh, next question uh, from Thomas the Tram. Is there a position you wish the Chargers had prioritized more during the draft? I think there was a time in the third round that they should have double-dipped on offensive linemen earlier. There were guys like Wyatt Davis and Kendrick Green and Ben Cleveland and Quinn Minerts who were all available in the third, and they passed on all of them. I also thought they should have gone interior defensive linemen and probably pass on a roundtree because a guy like roundtree and that skill set of being a power back is easy to find in the UDFA class, but that's not here, they're there. But I, specifically the nose, it's Linvel Joseph and then just a bunch of undersized guys to man the middle. So I get the round tree pick because of what it offers a running back room, like I said, but I would have gone a different direction. I think they should have gone offensive line earlier. Um, I do like Hymas. I, I like the pick and I like the versatility playing tackle and guard. I probably would have gone a little bit higher and got one of the better guys earlier, and I probably would have gone defensive lineman. Yeah, I think not finding a potential playmaker at 
the interior on the interior defensive line, which is something that is a staple of Staley's defense. Uh, I think that's definitely an area where they should have, they should have focused earlier and almost anything would have better, would have been better than McKitty with that second, third round pick, <laughs> uh, a tackle, a guard, a nose tackle, even another corner, a safety, even a speedy wide receiver. I didn't yeah. even mention that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we I talked about that. I think there were a lot of a lot better options who were, who could have come in and made an impact right away, uh, more so than McKitty um, with that second third round pick. So for sure, though, the interior defensive line I think remains an issue. They really don't have any playmakers in the interior, in my opinion. So yeah, well, let's talk about it because somebody asked. It's Raf ninety five Griff who said, "What position group are you most?" And least concerned about post draft. Well, I, I, like I said, I think um, defensive tackle is probably yep. one of the biggest remaining concerns on this roster. They just Joseph was good last year, uh, not overly productive, but he held down the fort. He did a good job. Um, I know he got a lot of effort pressures, and people want to rave about that, but there weren't a lot of TFLs. There weren't a lot of run stops. Not a lot of plays mm-hmm. for him. And I think he's reaching that point where you kind of have to evaluate him on effort because the plays are going to start dwindling here pretty soon. So they need a long-term plan for him. Um, I I know they've been singing Tillery's praises. I do not think he's going to succeed on the inside. I, I also am not as high on Justin Jones as a lot of people are. I do not think he is a playmaker inside. I feel like he's just another body in a lot of ways. So I think they need some explosiveness and some playmaking ability at, at the defensive tackle spot. Hopefully these guys prove me wrong, but I think they just keep ignoring that spot. They just don't value it the way they should. I feel like they got Tillery and it was like, okay, we're done. We're good. And they need to keep building there because there's not a lot of depth and there isn't a lot of production at the starting spot. I agree with you. Uh, Defensive tackle for sure. Uh, I'll add safety in there. I mean, Derwin has been hurt every year since his rookie season. Nasir Adderley was not good last season. Aloha Gilman, like we talked about. Uh, wasn't very good. They couldn't count on him last year. Mark Webb going to be playing more of a big nickel. So you've got Gilman and Webb but with the same skill set uh, having to contribute if Derwin goes down again. So Derwin, Alohi, Webb need to play near the line of scrimmage, which means Nasir is the only real deep safety they have on the roster right now. So that, to me, is a huge concern. Defensive tackle is a big concern for me too. Now, uh, the other, the second part of the question was, what group are you least concerned with after the draft? Quarterback. <laughs> that's the answer. <laughs> yes, that's the answer. Quarterback. <laughs> Finally, they don't have to worry about quarterback. Yeah, no, you're right. Offensive lineman is kind of up there. They did a pretty good job this off season, getting some guys, grabbing Slater, and getting depth with High Miss is nice. Pretty big turnaround on paper, but you're right. It's quarterback. Yep, no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, next question is from Juice01, at Juice01. Now that the draft is in the bag, the Chargers appeal to, appear to have around $16.6 million in cap space. Are there any remaining free agents you think could help move the needle, as you call it? Yes, I'm glad they used the, the lingo, the lightning round yes. podcast lingo, move the needle. Uh, I'm going to throw a name out there. We don't answer the question if they don't use the lingo. Exactly. So they, they need to... Yeah, thank you, Juice. We wouldn't have answered your question if you didn't add that. Last part, so... Uh, let me throw a name out there because I just talked about safety depth, and I will say, what about a guy like Malik Hooker? Still out there, still a free agent. There's injury history, and that that's a cause for concern for sure, but he's got the starting experience. He's got range. He can compete for a starting job right away. 
I think it's worth rolling the dice on at this point in free agency. Kind of a low-risk, potential high reward. He's still a young kid, uh, but that, to me, would move the needle. I mean, that's a guy that could really compete for a starting job. I mean, I'm not, I haven't given up on Nasir yet, but um, I think Hooker could be a guy. And also, we talked about defensive tackles. What about kicking the tires on Quan Short? That could definitely move the needle. I mean, they're the same age, Joseph and Short, but having a rotation on the inside of Short and Joseph, I mean, that would have been great six, seven years ago. But now, I mean, that's probably worth a shot. Yeah, I, you know, Hooker, I mean, we're already dealing with Derwin being hurt every year since his rookie year. Hooker has has been in a similar situation. I I'm sure you could get him on the cheap. I just feel like he's never going to be out there. Uh, if he's never out there, he's not helping. We're so talking one-year deal with I know. the potential to turn around. All they have is Nas. I, I'm adding a body, and to me, that's yeah. the next best free safety. But go ahead. I no, I get concerned. it. Yeah. I get it. Um, Quan Short would be on my list. I also think an additional uh, veteran edge rusher would be helpful um, to help kind of bring Nwosu and, and Rump along. Like Melvin Maybe Ingram? Somebody no. No. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, not like Melvin Ingram at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Justin Houston. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He he's still out there, um, and he's not an every down guy anymore. But he could help provide some juice off the edge in passing situations for sure. Um, and he's he'd probably come on a one year deal because he's nearing the end. Um, I still think, even though they did a good job at corner, um, you know, adding Samuel and bringing back Davis. There are some. There's no depth really at corner. Mm-hmm. So a guy that I would maybe consider, and who should come pretty cheap, is a Garyon Conley, mm-hmm. somebody who can get on a one year deal, have him earn his reps, and maybe see if he can play his way up into some kind of a rotation at one of the corner spots. Uh, because I I don't trust um, Brandon Faison no. at all. Mm-mm. No, that's Conley, a that's a good name too. Because if you're looking at like, I mean, people are going to say Richard Sherman, but at that point, he's going to be looking for a starting spot. And you just re-signed Michael Davis to a deal. And you just drafted Asante Samuel. You got Chris Harris on the inside. You want a guy that's kind of fringe starter, could be good depth. So that's that's a good name. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I liked your Quan Short suggestion just because they need so much help at defensive tackle. Trying to see if there's anybody else out here. I think Geno um, Atkins is a guy that could help, but probably more in the three-tech range. Yeah, um, maybe. I don't know if you're concerned about the linebacker role. Maybe K.J. Wright. He's still out there. Yep. Um, so there are some options out there, some guys who could come in and at least work their way into rotation, if not start right away, and provide some production and help keep guys fresh. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Last question here. We're coming up on an hour. At the Chargers Nerd, what's the plan at safety? Do you buy the implied faith in Nas and Alohi, or think they will bring in a notable free agent to complete to start? Or he said complete, he meant compete. Compete yeah. to start. Or complete to start, whatever. <laughs> um I don't buy that they have faith in Alohi just because of the the Mark Webb pick. I think that's a pretty clear indication that they're reevaluating that draft pick from last year because they're basically the same player. In terms of faith in Naz, I thought he was not great early in the year. His tackling was bad pretty much throughout the year. I thought his angles and his reads got better um, as the single high safety towards the end of the year, and he was getting closer to making some plays on the football. So I think there's reason to believe that he could improve. Uh, And remember, last year was basically his rookie year because he didn't get on the field at all in 2019. Mm -hmm. So 
another, you know, a full year under his belt, another full off season under his belt. Um, I, I, I would imagine they probably still have faith in Naz. Whether or not they should is a different story, but I would be surprised with him being a second round pick if if they've lost faith in him. I think they probably saw enough from him as a punt returner and in terms of the angles and the reads he was making last year that I think that they probably think he's getting closer to being an effective single high safety. Yeah. And keep in mind too, Staley's defense relies more on on two safeties than it does on one. So he won't have to cover as much space and that could really help as well. Yeah. And so uh, in terms of Nas and Aloha, I mean, Nas, I think, can still turn it around. I, I agree with you. I thought he looked better at the end of the year, and he showed improvement on his first year as a starter. Aloha had every opportunity to see the field last year and just didn't. He played in one game. So to me, he's all – I mean, when they drafted him, he was always a bottom-of-the-depth chart special teams guy to me. So – you know, I think that they have at some point have got to get a safety, whether it's in free agency or maybe they get one late and pick up after cuts. But they have got to get some competition. They've got to get some more bodies in there at free safety, safety. They get, they just got to fill that up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think another body or two would help. I don't think it's going to be like a big name guy. I think it'll probably be somebody who gets cut or kind of a, you know, a mid roster kind of guy who can come in and compete and maybe help out here or there without taking too many snaps away from the kids. I think Aloha is the one that they're most likely losing faith in just because he really should have been on the field a lot last year and they clearly didn't trust him enough to put him out there. He he didn't even play that much in special teams, I don't think. So um, he's the guy who I think they're most likely to have lost faith in. Uh, Naz, I think, I'm sure they've still got confidence in and they feel like he's showing enough to believe that he's going to get there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We're done recapping this uh, draft. Appreciate you guys listening and coming back. I am at Garrisisti on Twitter. Jamie? At lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.